Tell me the truth. <laughs> it's over. Mais c'est tellement nouvelle cette chanson française qu'il faut que je lis toutes les paroles parce que elle vient de la faire il y a trois jours. Elle a seulement trois jours. Et, et c'est pour ça que je les paroles ici. Mais je vous promets que depuis aujourd'hui, elle va être très populaire en France. Vous voyez. Je pense. La même. Hello and welcome to Tinker Taylor Podcast Spy. I'm here with Max. Hello. And no Tyler, sadly, still. But uh, today we are going to be talking about Chapter 19 through the end of John Le Carey's Little Drummer Girl. Finally, I took us. I know it took us a long time for a, a brief, variety a brief of sabbatical. We had some technical issues. Yes, many many technical issues. Many microphones were involved. Yes. Um, but, but we're back. We're back with working mics and uh, some cold beers, and we're ready to talk about. <laughs> I, I've uh, I've I've finally eaten, so today's good. Yes. Even though Emma made me record on Yom Kippur, but I well. I did, but it was accidental. <laughs> it was ignorance, not malice. <laughs> but uh, we are ready and raring to go, and I believe that next we are going to cover uh, the movie version of Taylor of Panama um, to talk about how it was different than the very different than the book version and uh, talk about the performances and John le Carre also surprisingly has a new novel out in less than a month on October 12th a posthumous release of a novel called Silverview will be released and so we're hoping to read that and record something yeah, so those will be the next two things. Um, and yeah, we can uh, let's dive into the last third of Little Drummer Girl. So this is chapters nineteen through twenty-seven of the of the book. Um, so yeah, I guess you know where we left off. I know it was a, a while ago, but where we left off, they had just uh, Kurtz and crew had just uh, basically had murdered Michael and uh, in a uh, fake car explosion. And we pick up, you know, a, a little bit later with Charlie um, finds out. Char yeah. Or, you know, quote unquote, finds out that this has happened. And uh, because Helga has broken the news to her, um, the other member of the uh, Palestinian cell, uh, Charlie then enters a period of mourning, which is quite expertly drawn because, you know, as they keep saying, she's in the theater of the real. And so she has to play the role of a grieving girlfriend quite uh, strongly and believingly, uh, I mean, believably, uh, convincingly. And so yeah, for um, someone she's only met once, like she's not, you know, she's, she's, I think she has even herself has built this relationship up as something that was real. Um, when it's really, she's kind of substituted, I mean, purposely this relationship with Joseph into this relationship with Michael. Yeah. So she has these, uh, meetings with Joseph where she's, uh, talking about their, uh, the seemingly endless facets of their shared schizophrenia where they're both playing these roles. Um, him as her sort of imaginary lover who is also her real lover and, um, Charlie as a quite confused person. Um, so you know, we have these kind of heart wrenching scenes where she's think she thinks about writing a memoir about her dead <laughs> lover. Uh, she's collecting his letters. She's copying out quotes from his letters. Um, and meanwhile, her friends, family, basically anyone who was involved in her life in England is being harassed by British intelligence, uh, because they've now got on her trail yeah they've been tipped off by by kurtz and everyone um and basically causing everyone who she's ever known to basically abandon her not want to talk to her you know purposely to kind of drive her into the one direction they want to go, want her to go which is into the arms of helga and the the palestinian crew 
Yeah, so they're deliberately cutting her off from people um, because they're quite understandably uh, nervous about associating with someone who British intelligence and quite a lot of cops are looking for. Um, You know, all her friends are saying, what have you done? And uh, her agent drops her, things like that. So she ends up uh, meeting up with uh, her ex-boyfriend again who says that he's been harassed as well by these cops. It's it's just it's quite clear that uh, British intelligence is you know following all of these leads uh, just where Kurtz led them and that um, Charlie now has to play this sort of dual role of you know someone who's being looked at by British intelligence as a terrorist uh, or potential terrorist while also uh, playing this role of the innocent among her friends and then also playing this role with um, not only with Joseph as a grieving lover but as someone who is herself, which she is having a lot of trouble connecting with. There's kind of a funny scene where she comes in on them uh, going through her her place, and she manages to fool them by by saying she's looking for her sister. Um, And um, you can tell from the description that um, it's some of the higher-ups in British intelligence who are searching her place. Um, that Kurtz had previously met with, and she manages to just quite ably fool them uh, just by running off. (laughs) Uh, There's kind of one last meeting with Marty and Joseph uh, before um, they kind of debrief her, and then she kind of gets sent off. Uh, She she reaches out to Helga, um, and she kind of ends up on on this journey, um, uh, you know, kind of demanding, uh, to, to where the book ends. Um, you know, it's kind of a, this is the big break that they've kind of been setting her up for of, of, you know, they've been training her building up this fake persona. And this is, this is where it, it all kind of starts getting, you know, she kind of gets on a train that has, has one final destination. I think this is kind of a very typical, Le Carre setup of like spending two thirds of the book building this structure until you get to a point where then you have a third of the book, the, the denouement of just like, yeah, this is where it was always building up to. This is what it was always yeah, just very rapid being. fire. Yeah. Um, and this is what happens in the last third of the book. It's just, okay, this is, this is, he spent, you know, it took you forever to kind of get a grasp of what was happening. And then you get to the end and it's like, Oh, this is, this was inevitable. And it just kind of rapid fire hits you. One of the more striking parts to me in this chapter is when, uh, she asked Kurtz, uh, when the mission ends and he's confused and he's like, what are you talking (laughs) about? The end justifying the means. And it's just, it's clear that he has no, he can't even consider the, uh, or conceive of the, the idea that her role will ever be over. And so you see that there's still this disconnect where she still thinks that like, oh yeah, I can one day return to normal. Yeah. And they're like, no, you need to play this role forever, basically. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's, you kind of get a, this is jumping to the very end, but you kind of get a uh, counterpoint to this where for Marty, you know, this is, it's literally his job. So like it just, this this never ends. Like there's not, there is not an ending. This is one mission on the, you know, on his belt and he'll move on to others. And there's a point in chapter 27, uh, the last chapter where uh, she asks Marty like, oh, you can give my, or she snarkily says to Marty that you can give Fatma my Israeli citizenship that you said I can get. Um, and he, he the, they say the book goes, uh, he had to go back and look up in his files who Fatma was because he'd already moved on to like three other missions. And it's like, this is just, you know, this is one mission for her, you know, they've, they've built her into this. So like Marty, you know, there's just, she's not Israeli. She's not even Jewish. This is like one thing she has been recruited for. So it's, it's Marty. It's like there, there can't be an end. Um, And she can't ever admit like what she did. So like there is, as you were saying, there is no end for her or anyone else. Um, yeah because the i mean 
even just trying to talk to anyone about this, uh, she has no evidence. She would sound completely insane. Yeah. Um, just even describing the events of a single chapter in this book. <laughs> yeah. Long. Could you imagine if you tried to tell someone like you did all this? They'd just be like, okay, okay, sweaty. Um. <laughs> yeah. So then we get to chapter 20 where she is now being uh, basically carted around by Helga and Helga's comrades and then eventually interrogated. And um, this has to be like the third, fourth, fifth, tenth interrogation scene that Charlie has had yeah. uh, where she has to play a different role. And um, she's uh, unsurprisingly uh, up for the task, but uh, uh, she ends up, you know, passing uh, this, this test and they, uh, it's it's clear that they're going to accept her into the fold. Um, she's played the role convincingly enough, but um, I, I think this chapter mainly serves to underscore like these people are deadly serious. Um, they would not have hesitated to kill Charlie if she gave any sign of being an agent of Israeli intelligence or uh, working for British intelligence or any sort of uh, other agency. Um, so this really is uh, life or death for her, and uh, she's rewarded because um, just within a few pages, she is uh, on the plane to Beirut. They bring her to Beirut, and she she kind of they uh, she goes off on kind of this whirlwind of um, you know safe houses where they're moving her from one place to another um they they sneak her through customs and they you know she meets a a variety of people until she kind of finally ends up in this uh refugee camp in in lebanon which is um you know one of many refugee camps that house a lot of palestinians and you know house a lot of palestinians to this day there's you know a lot of people who uh you know, you're probably getting to the point where there's, it's, I mean, not getting to the point. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's mostly people who have never stepped foot in Palestine at this point, but they're all, you know, in 2021, but they're all, you know, kind of basically stateless because Lebanon won't give them citizenship. Israel won't let them in. Um, and, you know, she ends up at this camp with uh, this Captain Taye, who's, who's a very interesting character. He's kind of, uh you find out he's he's basically seems like Khalil's number two or the the in charge of kind of the training side of of Khalil and the the you know the PLO substitute they don't give a name of whatever the group is but um PLO substitute that's that's operating here yeah, um, something I really appreciate about this uh, and about all of John Le Carre's books is that he did his research. Um, yeah. If you read, if you read the foreword <laughs> to this book, he went to Lebanon. He um, traveled in Israel and Palestine. He talked to people. He um, has an eye for detail that can only come from witnessing it yourself. Um, and so it's always kind of a pleasure when he slips into sort of the travelogue mode of writing yeah, for a bit. Definitely. Um, because you can tell he's describing things that he saw and witnessed firsthand. Um, and just the the richness of even the very minor characters who show up, um, you can tell where he's he's drawing influence from real life, um, people he met while abroad, and uh, putting in observations that he uh, must have noted down during his travels for this book. And so that's something I always really appreciate is when he gets to flex the travel writing mode. <laughs> But um, he also um, this chapter is also um, just some of the, I think the final tests for Charlie. Um, yeah, they're like a, it's a final them where, vetting. Yeah, final vetting where she meets this Captain Taya who presents the Palestinian side of events and you know quizzes her on everything that Michael told her, and um, y- you know asking questions to verify that she actually knew him, um, and then. Really, I think the ultimate test is when she meets Michael's sister, Fatma, who uh, quizzes her, um, which she's able to to pass this quiz quite ably uh, by 
continuing to play this role and just sort of, I guess, just burrowing into this character that she's uh, created. And so they end up dubbing her Comrade Layla and uh, bringing her into the fold as this sort of grieving widow character. Yeah, and she she starts, you know, befriending people in the camp. Um, And, you know, I think we, we get a point here, which is, you know, it gets repeated a few times throughout this past in the last section where one of the characters goes, oh, you know, we're not anti-Semitic. We're just anti-Zionist. Um, anti-Semitism is a Christian thing. But, you know, we're getting. Uh, but then, you know, they get the opposite side of it goes, oh, but we need to attack Jewish people everywhere because they are, you know, Jewish people are synonymous with Israeli and, you know, th- there's one sense where you can be like, oh, wait, that's that's anti-Semitic. Like, what's what's I, I don't understand how it cannot be anti-Semitic. And then you do get into later in this section where there's uh, I forget which. Oh, it's it's Litvak, of course. He goes he doesn't trust non-Israeli Jews because of due loyalty where Israel equals Jew to him. So, there's you know, there's kind of. Yeah, he has a sort of reverse dual loyalty uh thing where he he isn't suspicious he isn't an american suspicious of uh jewish people because he thinks they have a loyalty to israel he's (laughs) a israeli jewish person who is suspicious of non-israeli jews because he suspects they have loyalty to another nationality or ethnicity and it's it's just interesting that you know this is where you kind of getting evidence that both sides are are conflating israeli is a Jew like that's yeah absolutely. to be a true Jew, you have to be Israeli. So there's there's you know it's it's very hard to to not that there isn't anti-Semitism in this, but you know you get it's it's not it's not a one-sided thing. There's it's coming from both sides that you know Judaism is is uh, synonymous with being Israeli or vice versa. Um. um and, you know, then we get the end of the chapter where we finally get, you know, we've kind of not only not gotten, we've only seen, you know, we open up the book with the bombing of, uh, in, in Bad Godesburg, um, that kills the child. And, you, you know, you're kind of like, oh yeah, Israelis, you know, they need to get revenge or, you know, this is, they're on a righteous path. And then this is when you finally see, like, firsthand, oh, this is why this is, you know, they start bombing, you know, get the Israelis bombing the camp. And this is, you, you kind of see, oh, this is this is what's happening. This is why. Um, yeah, this, this horrible cycle. And uh, Charlie has this sort of horrifying realization because she sees the planes in the sky. And um, she's like, oh, wait, the Palestinians don't have an air force. So these... <laughs> have to be Israeli planes. And then uh, they're all a bit confused as to why they're not uh, sort of committing direct strikes. Um, And they say Charlie has brought them luck. And Charlie has this very guilty moment where she's like, oh, shit, they probably are avoiding direct strikes because I'm there as an asset of Israeli intelligence. Um, However, you know, the chapter closes with, uh, you know, once people are inside, there's this uh, quite horrific, you know, uh, bomb attack um yeah so you you get this oh this is this is what's you know it's it's just kind of a it ends up devolving into this tit for tat thing um except you know the the palestinians have don't have an air force that can kind of strike with impunity like the israelis have yeah there's the the details like a a woman uh calling america 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 and then charlie ends by saying you rotten killing Zionist bastards. If I hadn't been here, you'd have bombed them to kingdom come. Um, yeah. So then I guess, you know, we, we step back to kind of the, we get to see what our old crew in the Mossad has been up to. Um, uh, where, you know, I think it's the first time you've, you see Gotti, Joseph, um, back home in, in, Israel, just because he's kind of abandoned Israel um, prior to this point. He's been living in Berlin. Um, yeah, and he's basically on a sort of leave right now um, yeah. uh, for his own sanity and then just also to kill time uh, while Charlie's uh, 
being taken into the fold of the cell. Um, this chapter largely functions, I think, as a several uh, character sketches where we learn yeah. some more about what they're like when they're on their home turf, basically. Um, or, you know, while they're interacting with each other with an intelligence and not when they have to convince Charlie to do things. Um, you know, like, how do spies talk to each other? Um, and so that's interesting. Um, I th- I think Litvak is still, we've, we talked about this, in, I think, in the first episode. He's one of the more interesting characters because he's basically a, a religious or ethno-nationalist zealot, basically. Um and he's held up as a contrast with um, all of the other uh, Israeli Jewish characters who have sort of uh, adopted Israel through sort of assimilation, whereas he was born there, I believe, yep. and um, and has this um, feeling of a sort of, uh, I guess I would say, birthright, where he feels, you know, that um, Israel is uh, his his main cause and. Uh, I just found the quote that you mentioned where it's Litvak's suspicion of non-Israeli Jews only added to the headache, but he would not yield. They were too soft in action. He said too divided in their loyalties. Yeah. And I think this is, it's, you end up getting a good contrast with, with Gadi, you know, who is Litvak was born there and doesn't trust any non-Israelis based on the actions of people like Gadi who like, fought to form the country. Um, you know, they, they, um, <clears throat> he kind of, he goes back, he basically, you know, you see Gotti going back, like walking through the past parts of his life where he's, he's, you know, goes to Hebron and then goes back to the kibbutz where he kind of spent a lot of time and is, was kind of at, the very beginning of Israel was the ideal, this kind of socialist, uh, communist, um, uh, you know, way of life where everyone lives on a kibbutz that was secular and you've kind of devolved or devolved or evolved or whatever, you know, your opinion is into lit back by this point um, from this kind of kibbutz living that, that Gadi was more familiar with. Uh, the interesting thing to me, I think, also about Litvak in this chapter is that he is uh, basically incapable of being taken anywhere where they have to interact with non-Israelis yeah. <laughs> uh, because he is uh, he is he manages to piss off their German contacts so much, yeah. uh, Alexis, that. Uh, Alexis starts saying a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff and then Litvak is just staring at him and um, and they end up almost jeopardizing this relationship in Germany um, <laughs> because uh, they can't get along and um, you know not saying that uh, there's any rational basis for uh, the comments Alexis makes but you do uh, get the sense that maybe it wasn't the best choice to send Litvak as a sort of envoy for this discussion. Yeah, I mean, that's... Because that's... they end up having to blackmail the German guy yeah. into <laughs> cooperating with them again. Yeah, they have to They have to be... He basically has to threaten to tell the, the foreign the minister, the minister yeah. that his, bank his bribes he's been accepting from the Israelis. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they basically say while you're talking to the minister, why don't you tell him about the Swiss bank account? And he's like, "Oh, okay, I guess I'll keep working with you." Yeah, um, I, I think this is. There's also a point in this chapter where you get a real view of um, kind of where Gotti is at, and it's a how different it is from Litvak, where he's he's saying like, "Oh, we should have given the Palestinians a real deal in '67. We were close. Um, we were close to and didn't." And he's kind of come around to being like oh no that was that was probably the big mistake that that's what how we ended up in this you know awful situation um was we could have given them a real country or a real deal or created a you know something and and it didn't happen they they do end up finding basically um they find helga's uh letter that they intercept and so they're able to figure out what the next bomb target is by deciphering the pretty amateurish code that she uses. 
Yeah, that's um, what they she the Rachel deciphers it because she does crossword, crossword puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a very John Le Carey carry note. <laughs> yeah, and then there's just the sort of next few pages where they're basically kind of following Gotti through his uh sort of vision quest through his old haunts in Israel where he's having this sort of I, I don't know crisis of conscience or something about um his involvement with Charlie and in this plot and uh you know providing a running commentary where they they um they're worried that he's troubled you know he's been in the cold too long basically yeah yeah definitely we hop back to um the camp the camp where well it's uh it's i think this is a different camp they they've moved her to kind of yeah. from the 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 uh kind of refugee camp to this training camp the yeah it's like the, a fort in lebanon yeah um uh, with their their um, training, training the uh, you know potential terrorists to to carry out attacks or fight on behalf of Palestine, and you know you kind of get this uh, or just train, um, not even for Palestine. Like you get you get different people coming through. Like you get the South African fighting apartheid come through to train and. And some other things. Yeah, um, a Swedish girl with a toddler. Yeah, um, which I, you know, now that I'm a father, made me very depressed. Of like, having there's a description of that kid who's like runs around and naked and feeling seems very lonely, and then cries when anyone talks to him, and it's just like a very sad way for a kid to grow up. And so, yeah, so they're basically in these, um, uh. It's it's basically summer camp for for terrorists where they have to uh, they have to swear an oath of loyalty to the anti imperialist revolution. Study the rules for the camp, which include uh, you know no drugs, no nudity, no masturbation. Um, they have to listen to the sort of indoctrination speeches, and then they practice things like um, you know shooting Kalashnikovs and uh, uh, assembling bombs. And so uh, Charlie immerses herself even further into um, this this identity where she says, uh, I've put my hand on the Palestinian heart. I'm pledged to lift the world up by its ears to make it listen. I'm Comrade Layla, a citizen of the world revolution. And um, so she's, she's just further uh, adopting this role. And uh, the other members of the cell are, uh, you know, her comrades end up really sort of impressed by her dedication, her fire. Um, in which she's able to prove even more because a uh, fellow uh, comrade who goes by uh, Abdul uh, confesses uh, that he is, uh, you know, he's having second thoughts. He um, he's unconvinced of the utility of violence. Um, uh, his his real name is Arthur J. Halloran. He's uh, He's like a Vietnam vet and he's he's feels kind of lost uh, at this camp. And he um, he asked her to pass a note to a, U- a U.S. embassy, basically saying that he uh, would like to to come out and uh, come back. And so she's able to prove uh, after uh, yet another interrogation, uh, she's able to prove her uh commitment to the cause by ratting him out to captain yep. taya um and, and you know she rats him out and he's like oh you this happened three days ago why didn't you tell anyone um she, you know she's like oh i was waiting for you he's like oh there's plenty of other people and then goes oh we we've known you know this is yeah because he we, says he's useful because he uh he approaches people who come to the camp and tries to get them to extract him and so they can tell who's useful or not by who rats him who out. Rats him out, yeah. Um, and you know, he asks her what what she would do with him, and she says, "Oh, I would, I would, I would liquidate him or uh, him. neutralize him." Um, and that basically is the kind of the the moment they sign off on her um, as ready for for the mission. Um, 
yeah they, they he asked her one more question like to prove um and it's like what happened to a bracelet yeah um that michael allegedly gave her and she answers correctly and they're like okay you're ready for your mission yep and then um we we learn about the target of the bomb plot who is a um this elderly academic um professor minkle who uh is a uh renowned academic who uh believe he appears to believe in um what's essentially a uh two-state solution yeah this was um where he wants them to pull back from the uh uh occupied territories but maintain a, a israeli state it says he's a member of a largely forgotten idealistic group that between the wars of 67 and 73 championed the real peace with the palestinians yeah so this is it's a, it's a group i mean they mentioned he was he was a uh, pupil of Martin Buber, Buber, Buber. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, who, who's he was a member of this group called the New Israeli Historians, who were kind of this group, kind of anti-Zionist, but like you know these people championing for real peace with the Palestinians, um, and you know kind of you know even by this point gotten sidelined and been you know pushed out of like any real discussions. Um, and I, I think it's, it's interesting in that you get even, you know, this is almost 40 years ago when this book was published, you get a character saying you can either pick, you know, you can either pick a Jewish state or a democracy. You can't pick both. Um, Minkle says, you know, he's like, yeah, he e-. says move out of Gaza on the West bank before we lose our values. Yeah, um, I think he he more explicitly. Let me show. Yeah, he says on on this side, democracy yes. without Jewish self realization. On that side, Jewish self realization without democracy. Yeah, which is you know you get this big and it, you know I think some people think this is kind of like a newish argument or this is something that's but it's you know it's it's something people have been aware of for basically the entire history of the Israeli state. Um, uh you know once it kind of becomes formed and they get control you know basically past 67 um yeah and 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 then minkle's wife is is you know uh angrily defending him because she fears that he's in trouble uh for like subversion yep and uh so she she starts listing the uh various israeli atrocities and is like we can't uh we can't you know, continue to act like this and um, call ourselves a uh, democracy. And then uh, Kurtz is able to sort of do a, you know, epic own on them by being yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, those people that you're defending are trying to kill you uh, at your talk about this. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's where it, it um, you know, kind of ends and we we get to the uh um kind of the setup to the actual bombing um that she's supposed yes, to do. Yes, because Charlie returns to Europe. To Europe, yeah. Um and meets up with Helga again. Um uh who they um I forget what exactly well, first she know. has a, a interchange in the airport where she's supposed to pass a note to to Right. Rachel. Right, and she gives she gives them a blank, you know, there's no note. She just gives, she passes. Yeah. She does the pass, um, but there's no note, um, which makes them, you know, at least Litvak, you know, who's always kind of jumping to the worst conclusion. Yeah, Litvak, Litvak then uh, thinks she's gone over and points out that, you know, after all these months uh, away and then in a, a training camp, she has absolutely nothing to report and hands him that. So he's like... Yeah, her she's just completely lost herself and is you know she doesn't have anything tying her to Israel and so she's been swayed by sort of their their arguments and their uh, their cause. But yeah, she um, she ends up in yet another very John Le Carre uh, cascade of of sort of safe houses and cars and exchanges. Uh, 
she ends up with Helga and Co. And I have to say, Helga might be one of the worst characters in this book. I can't stand her. Oh, she's awful. I mean, I think she's supposed to be awful, but yeah, she's. But I mean, she, she is, is like she's like perfectly awful. <laughs> she really has like kind of no morals, or I mean, she really seems to be doing it as kind of like a lifestyle choice. Yeah, as... like yeah, and um, there's just this sort of alarming scene where um. She's there with like this Italian guy and some other guy, and she's like, "Oh, Charlie, why don't you join us?" And basically comes on to Charlie, and it's like, Char- Charlie is so taken aback. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So then you know they they are going about, and they they bring her to, um, uh, with this Italian guy. They bring her to the hotel. Minkle is checking into to. Uh, basically do an, uh, an, you know, an operation where they can find out what his luggage he is carrying. Um, so they can swap it. Yeah. Swap the, you know, the, the luggage, um, you know, his, they, 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 they take his briefcase, um, and they want to basically, they're, they're trying to use this briefcase as the bomb. Yeah, it's it's kind of an excruciating scene because um, Minkle has uh, been made aware of this plot and, um, b- and the basic mechanics of how they're going to do it, which is an explosive briefcase. So uh, he's, you know, very uh, measured and um, cautious and, you know, quite terrified when he's talking to Charlie. And then Charlie is just, you know, they, they basically both know that this interaction is not normal. And... Um, but there's no way she can reassure him, and so they have to just play their parts. Yeah, and then they um, uh, there's this this phone call they get from the professor who's quote quote having his fourth nervous breakdown of the operation, and then Kurtz uh hangs up and says it's a really nice day. Everyone's having a great time. <laughs> I mean, Kurtz is definitely. I mean, he's he's got he's a very funny guy, and as a way of like very dry and uh cutting sense of humor um well yeah the chapter ends because um uh she ends up meeting uh they bring her to khalil um, yeah they bring her to khalil for the first time and that's that's where um, you know through a series of cutouts again she ends up in a a van sitting on a bunch of onions and they give her an onion box a box full of onions to bring up to him um um which i'm guessing is kind of you know you there's the i don't know how true this is but i'm guessing there's like probably something to hide the scent of you know what they were hiding like you know yeah oh hide hide weed and some coffee grounds because the dogs can't smell it hide your explosives in a box full of onions so no one's gonna find it um yeah and um she sees him fiddle with the sort of decoy clock radio transmitter thing that they give her, but um, he seems to have fallen for it. And um, so they end up uh, just taking her. Uh, but then Litvak has another uh, freak out and is like, why didn't we wire her? Why, like, why didn't yeah. we make her wear a wire instead of this? Um, and, you know, why... why did we use her? We don't trust her. And, um, and they say, uh, because she hasn't killed. Uh, yeah. Like she's still, she's it, because it's her first mission. Basically she is almost like this sort of blank slate that they're able to, uh, to, uh, write their goals on basically Yeah, where they're able to get her to do all of this because it's still novel and interesting and in the role of a lifetime um so she she shows up at the khalil um, yeah at the hotel and khalil's explaining how he makes bombs and like his philosophy and she's able to fool him into thinking that uh she was with michael they have this very interesting kind of discussion while you know this this while he's assembling a bomb while he's assembling a bomb where you know these they like uh he asks her, you are nervous? Yes, it is natural. I too am nervous. Are you nervous in the theater? Yes, it is the same. Terror is theater. We inspire, we frighten. 
awaken indignation, anger, love. We enlighten the theater also. The gorilla is the great actor of the world. Um, my, and then she goes, Michael wrote me that too. It's in his letters. But I told it to him. It was my idea. Um, and, you know, this, this, whole, this whole conversation is happening while, while he's putting together a bomb. Yeah, um, it's, just, it's so eerie. And the fact that they're agreeing with each other on the whole theater thing, while also, um, I mean, this is the same uh, language that the Israeli intelligence yeah. is also using. I mean, it just, it's the theme of the book, basically, is the, you know, what, at what point is spectacle and theater actually real life where it's affecting people and, you know, what, what, what's real? Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, there's, I think this hat is in a lot of books, but you know, that there's everyone to a certain extent is acting and that there's, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of a, a, a pretense that you put on for others and, um, you know, that changes depending on who you are with, just like how the actor changes depending on what role they're playing. Um, and, you know, you kind of see, you see this through Khalil, you see this, you know, most vividly through Charlie, um, through the different roles you play. And then you kind of, I mean, the book, I think very deliberately, you never really you know, you don't always get a real sense of who everyone is. You kind of get this put on. I mean, like Charlie, you don't really, they never really clear up what is up with her family life. Like, is her father a thief? Is he not? Yeah. Um, You know, what is, who is, I mean, I think basically the clearest picture you get is kind of of Litvak, who's like very strident, but you know, you never get a clear idea like why is Gotti still doing this like what what is his motivation you know he's not even living in israel anymore um what what brings him back um yeah and one of the more wrenching parts of the chapter for me is when she has to bring the briefcase back um to this uh uh to to the place of the professor speaking and um uh hand the briefcase over and uh she's able to talk to joseph to Gotti, and uh she's like you know i'm gonna have to sleep with him like to play this role is this you don't want me to do that right you don't do i still have to go like we're gonna have to even this like this is going to end up in some really like weird places yeah um and because she and joseph have slept together and she believes they're in love and so she's like you won't make me do this, will you? And um, and she, he just looks at her, and uh, she, it's it says she looked back and hated him. She closed her eyes and opened them. She let out a deep breath. I'm dead, and it that's just that's so wrenching to me. Is yeah. this that uh, that's the moment where she realizes that um, I, I you know this is what she has to do, yep. um like this is what they want her to do and that um no matter how much she feels that Gotti or Joseph uh reciprocates uh he's still putting the mission above that and he's going to keep choosing that yeah c- completely um so you know she <laughs> she brings the bomb over she has to you know convince this policeman <laughs> to let her into the building um which you know I guess they finally, they finally do. They, they, um, and then, you know, Rosino picks her up after she leaves, after she gives the briefcase to Minkle and drives her away back to Khalil. And we find out, you know, there's, they're listening to the radio and, um, that, uh, they've basically announced, yeah, Minkle died, that the bomb went off and Minkle died, um, to convince Khalil and everyone that, that you know, the plan worked. Um, um, so then they, you know, they, they sleep together um, and she, you know, it was kind of goes through this like heart wrenching, I don't know, I guess uh, guilt where she keeps trying to talk to Khalil while he's asleep. Um, yeah. Asking him I, things. And yeah. Yeah. I think she, she has some inkling of where this is finally going to end up. And um it's this weird sort of misplaced guilt. She realizes that, you know, Michael, Michael, who she has been pretending to be in love with and mourning is 
has you know died as a result of their actions and Khalil is uh about to and uh but she's also just trapped for fear of her own life. And so she just, yeah, I mean, it's it's sad where um, he's talking about, like, fishing at night. And um, she just keeps waking him up and, and kissing him and uh, talking to him. Uh, but then the next day, he actually, he realizes something is wrong because it's dead quiet. Yeah, he they wake up. He wakes up before her and she wakes up and gets out, gets up and goes to him. He goes, there are no cows around. It's dead quiet. I don't see any of the farmers driving their tractors or people commuting to work. Like there's, there's something wrong. Like that, that, you know, everything is, uh, there should be more going on around us. Um, Yeah. And so he, um, he, and this is really quite a, (laughs) a genius move, but he, uh, he asked her to go check her clock radio and um, uh, and he asked her how it's still telling the time when uh, the guy who was driving her to it, uh, him uh, took the batteries out. Yeah. Um, and so we find out that when the guy was fiddling with the clock radio uh, before he had taken the batteries out. And so it was easy for them to tell that the replacement was a transmitter um, because uh and that she had met with someone because uh, she shows up with a clock radio that has batteries in it. So he's like, uh, did you have time to go buy batteries? What happened here? Yeah. And um, and she realizes that uh, uh, she's been caught. And so he's, you know, he asks her who she, she works for. And then finally she, she gives up the game um, where she's like, we made up this entire thing. I never knew him. I never spoke to him in my life. They showed him to me before they killed him. And then she says, I fell in love with the man who looked after me. That's all there is. And, um, and just as he's, uh, starting to realize this, uh, he like touches her face. And then that's when, uh, Joseph shoots him. Shoots him. Uh-huh. And then, uh, Litvak runs in and, uh, shoots him in the back of the head i guess just to be sure i think well i think it's also very kind of striking imagery to me where kind of joseph comes in and does the real work and litvak kind of comes in after him to to put the coup de gras in like you know joseph has been the one on the real mission he's the one who who fought to uh I guess, you know, found Israel and the, the, the you know. Yeah, and then Litvak runs in. and Litvak just walks in and, like, does his thing of, like, kind of overkill. Like, Joseph had already shot him in the face. Like, there was yeah, kind of so, really no reason for Litvak to shoot him again in the head. Yeah, and that's emblematic of, like, the whole relationship there. Yeah. And so Charlie is uh, has basically her final actual breakdown where, because uh, Khalil was just, you know, shot in the head like in front of her and she's covered in blood and um she sees joseph and it says she could see exactly the same things in him that she hated in herself and so she's just uh completely outraged at him and at herself and when the next chapter uh starts we just uh have a very classic uh john le carey um move of uh telling us what the news is saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep which i think has happened in almost every I mean, it happened because, like the last chapter is like here's what how the press reacted I mean, it's happened in end of taylor of panama yeah um, so we find out you know professor Minkle is alive he made a miraculous escape and then you know you have some more chilling news where yeah. oh it turns out that helga and everyone that was involved in this has died mysteriously seriously yeah either getting shot mysteriously stabbed mysteriously car bomb mysteriously um, yeah and you know they obviously don't uh and then you know they, uh, they blow up the fort they fort, blow up the yep. uh, beirut compound killing taye and fatma um, and they basically they um they send charlie on this sort of seaside retreat with like a psychiatrist and they, they visit her once a week and just and uh, try to talk to her. yeah they <laughs> give her a ton of money which is you know obviously hush money and then they manage to calm the brits british intelligence down by being like 
just stop digging into this. Yes. <laughs> um, and so um, they offer her, yeah, there's a kind of so, sort of moment that's almost kind of stunning in its obliviousness where Kurtz yeah. offers her Israeli citizenship. Yeah. And uh, she says, you know, give it to Michael's sister. Yeah, and Fatma and, is, Yeah, that's the know, part where he has yeah, to consult Kurtz, the files because Kurtz doesn't remember who she is and of course yeah, she is dead by this point as yeah, well. Yeah, um, yeah, which she Kurtz know. who by then had a number of new cases going had to consult the file yeah. in order to remind himself who Fatma was or had been. Yeah. Um, and so, then they're like, "We, yeah, we can get they, they, they say they can get her uh, in talks with Hollywood producers. <laughs> um, they can get her in, you know, movies in America." And she's like, "No, I just want to go back where I am." Um, and then they end up they end up using the op as a, a, a case study yeah. example because uh, it's non Jews were not only usable but sometimes essential. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the case officer should have noticed that the batteries were missing, um, things like that. And so it's, it's, they have this very clinical approach where they're like, all right, we're, we've paid off everyone. We can get you a job. We can get you citizenship, whatever it'll take for you to, you know, become normal again and stop, you know, acting like you're going to tell people. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's also funny that she's like devastated like this and everyone has moved on like rachel yeah. comes rachel comes to visit her and tells her about everyone else who's basically like oh yeah we went to college like we're done you know, this is just like a mission we we done it now we're like oh he might be an archaeologist and you know i've moved back to england and um, yeah yeah you get the sense that it, this is taking place over several months uh where it's taking quite a while for her to um to come to terms with what happened and then meanwhile uh joseph is having his own you know little vision quests again where uh he uh he's in berlin uh he just hangs out at like a, a, a nightclub he's uh he kurtz is like your ex-wife will take you back divorces aren't intended to be binding and um and god he's just clearly uh uninterested and so then we have and this drives me nuts uh he, charlie is you know back on the stage she's you know doing what she loves again um she's back to normal basically and she sees joseph sitting and watching her at a show and she's like why isn't he in his red blazer where yeah know, and so you know you get the sense that she's still kind of confused and a little unstable because she's like confused about whether he's Joe's, whether he's Gotti, whether he's michael and um and so she says i'm dead Joe. you shot me don't you remember and i'm dead she kept saying i'm dead i'm dead uh, but it seemed that he wanted her dead or alive locked together they set off awkwardly along the pavement though the town was strange to them and I mean, I guess you could see that as kind of heartwarming because they're the only two people who really understand like what each other went through. But I got so mad when Joseph I mean, showed like up she's... again because I was like, she's back to normal. Like, yeah, why are you leave why her are alone? You... <laughs> it's like a, I mean, it's like her falling. It's a different kind of abuse, but it's a falling back into like different yeah. kind of abusive relationship that she was in with yeah um, absolutely like you get the sense that she's just repeating the same pattern of you know this uh guy who's been really quite awful and let's remember that joseph has hit her um before and you know inducted her into a murder plot um yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it yes it was to save lives but you know quite a thing to uh rope someone into and uh you know, she's finally back to normal and doing what she enjoys and back in the normal rhythms of life. And he shows up and he, you just get the sense that he's throwing it all off kilter again because she's saying, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. Yeah. You shot me, I'm dead. Yeah. And you're like, I mean, I oh, God. It's, I mean, I think, you know, she's... I mean, I think it's intended to be a little unsettling. Oh, yeah, because I think she's saying that, you know, like, that was someone else. Like, that was someone else who died in that. You yeah. Know? She was playing a role like this is not you killed me when you shot, you know, you shot both of us in that house in in Freiburg. Um, what's you know, you can't be back here. 
Um, but you know, there's kind of this attraction yeah, she can't avoid. Um, yeah. Because you also, I mean, when you think about it, she will never be able to talk about this with yeah with anyone anybody else. but yeah. Joseph. Yeah. Um, um, I guess because everyone else has moved on and like cut off contact, basically. Yeah. yeah. And um, Joseph is the only one she can really talk these things through with. Um, and these people will not hesitate to, uh, you know, take action if she were to tell other people. No, or to like you know go to the press or something. Yeah, because they'd previously discussed, I believe, early in the book, like, eliminating her. So yeah. um, you get the sense that they really, it's this kind of terrible situation where they they really are the only people who understand what they've gone through. But at the same time, you're like, please, Joseph, go to therapy. Yeah. Man. Like, leave her alone. You're, like, 20 years older than her, and you're like... You're you're making her solve your problem. And you're an assassin. <laughs> and you're an assassin. <laughs> and you're an assassin. <laughs> um, I think one other last thing in kind of the last pages that happens is, you know, Kurtz had been kind of doing this whole operation because they'd been, you know, threatening to send the army into Lebanon. Um, and he was trying to prevent this by being like, oh, I can do this operation to oh, yeah. clean up these terrorist cells. And then... Of course, it happens anyway. Like, yeah, so they go the in and they, they bomb, they like, you know, genocide the refugee camps and uh, destroy the, you know, everyone who's who she met with in Beirut. Um, and you get a kind of a good description of Kurtz where it goes, as to Kurtz, for a month or more, he was hardly seen or if seen, hardly recognized. His body seemed to shrink to half its size. His Slav eyes lost all their sparkle. He looked his age whatever that was at last. Then one day, like a man who was shaken off a long and wasting illness, he returned. And with the hours that it seemed had vigorously resumed his strange running feud with Misha Gavron. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like... Chris is a great character. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. He didn't even... But, you know, you seem like he didn't... You know, succeeded in the mission, but didn't... He kind of, like, won the battle, but lost the war of, like, yep. trying to prevent what he wanted to. Um, but even for him, but that like, still could it keep him away from from the like, work. yeah, exactly from the work. Like he's like, he he's you know, he still sees something greater that you know, I certainly don't see, but he 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 he's there. Um, yeah, so, yeah, just a, just a fantastic book. Um, yeah, I mean, I know, guess we I know should... there was John Le Carre said that uh, like he knew uh, that he had portrayed everyone you know in a sympathetic manner when people at all sides of the conflict yeah everyone hates him angry and called it you know anti-arab or uh, anti-semitic yeah people think this is anti-semitic people think it's anti-arab which i you know i thought it was a very thoughtful nuance i think it's very i don't think it i think it it sees it portrays both sides in kind of the best light they can um I don't think it's it's either way. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really more a commentary on sort of the futility of yes of, of the conflict. This, yeah, yeah, of this sort of endless cycle, which I I would hope is something that most people can agree on. Yes. Um, so yeah, I guess I mean I think we've done this at the end of all the books. We should be should we rate um, the how we how we feel on the books yeah this is a this is a i i don't remember if we were using five out of five or letter grades i think it's a five out of five it's an a for me um i don't think there's anywhere i would uh any sort of plots i would cut out or you know alter um everything that like there's so much set up to it that is all absolutely essential because this is an extremely convoluted plot but he's able to really ably pull it off and uh, make it completely comprehensible to the reader, which is quite a feat. And um, then the fact that he did all of this, you know, firsthand research and uh, uh, traveling adds, you know, an air of authenticity to it. Yes. And I think one of the, the sort of sadder parts of this book is that uh, so many parts of it ring true today where it's the same arguments that yes. we're seeing <laughs> um, 40 years later. Yeah, I mean, I and, and so it's still quite resonant. There's, there's one point I missed this where uh, I forget if it's Talia or Khalil who's like, oh, maybe in fifty years our 
grandchildren will have peace and justice. And, you know, we're almost 50 years later and it does not look like yeah. we're going to, you know, even 50 years make that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I think this is a five out of five for me. I think it's the, it is definitely, I mean, I haven't read all his books, but it is almost certainly my favorite of the ones I've read non smiley books. Um, I think it is his best written non smiley books of the the books I've read. And unlike kind of where we discussed with Taylor of Panama, I don't, there really isn't anything I would cut in, in this, even though it is very long. Um, I think it's all pretty vital as, as uh, Emma said. So uh, that's where we'll leave you, you know, months late, but um, finally there. So yeah, as we say at the beginning, next we'll be doing Taylor of Panama, the movie. And then uh, once it is out, we will move on to the, the Silverview. Silverview, which, which is um, set in Cornwall. Yeah, where set John in Le Cornwall where John Le Carre has a big, you know, huge connection where he he loved and lived. And um, I mean, I, I we don't know, never say never, but I will likely be his last book. Um, so, uh, for obvious reasons that people listening to the podcast will likely know. So, um, thank you all, and uh, have a good one. Thank you. Ha ha! James Bond, the killer.